as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. We got some stories out of Mexico. Our, our guest right now on your 956 Drive Home is. Alfonso Poncho Ortiz from Breitbart, Texas. A couple of things in the news. Uh, one of them has to do with the Venezuelan migrants in this uh, new implementation of Remain in Mexico. Also, ISIS back in the headlines again. But let's start with Venezuela and, and Mexico. So what's going on right now? Well, basically, Venezuelan migrants kind of got caught in the middle. So what what, what do you have? For- oh, sorry. It's, I hear a lot of... Uh, Echo. Can you hear me better? Yeah, I, it, it seems to be okay. Go ahead. We hear you fine. Okay, perfect. So what happened was that um, when they implemented the this, this policy, all these uh, they started sending people back. They were ne- they were the policy hit them uh, out of the blue. They were uh, you know it hit them without warning. So they get to the U.S. The belief was that you know once they get here, they can request asylum. However, once they got here, then this group of about a thousand people just got sent back, uh, and they ended up in Matamoros. If you remember, about a, mm. uh, two weeks ago, they they basically as soon as they got sent back, they held a protest at the bridge. They, had, they shut down the bridge temporarily, and then from Matamoros, they all, most of them got sent back to Mexico City. And now you have these people that are in Mexico City waiting to get permits, wait, trying to file for uh, to to be able to get back into the U.S. But right now they're they're uh, basically as Mexico keeps allowing more uh, Venezuelans to be sent back. There, uh, these people are living in the streets. The shelters in Mexico City are at capacity. They're sending them to other shelters. And the problem is that since Mexico's southern border is wide open, every day you're getting thousands and thousands of new migrants coming in. So there's no end in sight to the wave of uh, uh, immigrants that are coming in. Even uh, not only Venezuelans, but from all the other countries. Basically, you have to remember that Mexico's president, AMLO, opened the doors and said, everybody come in. Once they get to Mexico's southern border, everybody gets a a travel permit where they have about 30 days to leave the country. So once they get that permit, you know they're able to travel freely through Mexico, trying to make their way to the to the border, and get get to the U.S. So that's where the Venezuelans kind of got uh, uh, basically uh, they they got tricked out of a way because the other groups they're still going on the whole issue of catch and release with the other uh, groups since the immigration facilities and the system so overwhelmed. Basically, as quick as they're catching them, they're releasing the other nationalities. But the Venezuelans, who were the ones that could actually get real asylum, are the ones that are being sent back. Our guest is 
Award-winning journalist with Breitbart, Texas, Alfonso Poncho Ortiz, our guest on your 956 Drive Home. D Davis Rankin, your question. The uh, Poncho, the uh, Venezuelans, Nicaraguans, and what's the third group? They're they're like the, the Cubans. They're all fleeing uh, socialist or communist. I guess I guess Cuba is a communist anyway. Socialist governments. In socialist economies, but those economies are not newly socialized. They've been there for a while. Do you have? Do you know? And, and uh, uh, do you know why all of a sudden now? I say all of a sudden, they the three countries are sending people are leaving those three countries to come north, and and like the ones from I forget who it is, they're coming through that jungle, the the jungle connection between is it Colombia and P Panama, which is very dangerous. And they're just, well, they're just walking through it. The reason why they're coming is the same reason why everybody else is coming. Uh, as soon as the Biden Biden took office, the word got out that the that the you know that the gates were opened, uh, that people were not going to be sent back. That you know he, he they even said it themselves that they were going to try to end Title Forty Two, which is what was really keeping people out was was Title yeah. Forty Two. Basically, uh, migrants that were being making their way to the U.S. and trying to request asylum, but they were not doing it the right way. They were getting sent back right away into Mexico, and Mexico had agreed to take them. And however, when the Biden administration came in, they said they were going to undo those in yeah. that inhumane policy, etc. So, the message that human smugglers gave to the people was, "You come with us, you're going to get papers to the U.S." And that's the message that keeps getting uh, back to all these countries yeah. to this day. You go Did with you us, we're going to smuggle you into the U.S., and you're going to get papers. So that is why these people are taking these dangerous journeys, yeah. spending their life savings, selling whatever they have back home, and their relatives are, you know, getting into debt, uh, you know, giving as much money they can to these organizations, because there's a belief that they're going to get to the U.S. with papers and be allowed to stay. That's yeah. the, the because to remember to the human smugglers, we're talking. Uh, th these are not people. These are it's a merchandise, and you know. If you look at the figures, I mean, we talked about the numbers just to cross the Rio Grande here in the in the Reynosa, just from from uh, Reynosa to McAllen, they charge anywhere from three to eight hundred dollars just to cross the river. That's not even counting on on the journey and all the horrors that these smugglers, uh, you know, all the horrors that they carry out on these people. So this is literally perpetuating the cycle. And yeah. if you look how recently the Biden administration released their figures. Uh, you know, 2.3 billion, I mean, 2.3 million people were basically apprehended at the southern border this year. That's not even counting the ones that got away. Are they all asking they for... Our, our guest Sorry. right now is Alfonso Poncho Ortiz from Breitbart, Texas. The headline that was posted today, uh, Poncho, I'm curious about. It, it talks about ISIS trying to recruit new members in Mexico. I, I, I kind of want to know the details of the story are because it... I can't imagine cartels are taking kindly to ISIS operating in their territory. Is that the case? Well, no, no, no. So you see, it's they they operate separately. Uh, so <clears throat> this issue came because in two uh, at the start of October, there was a massive uh, hacking. Uh, a group of hacktivists called Guacamaya basically uh, hacked into the computers of Mexico's army, the National Defense Secretary, and they stole like six terabytes of information. And what they did with mm -hmm. this is they basically 
posted all that information on certain servers and they're allowing journalists to go through that information. And this is where there were some reports uh, detailing how uh, even go as far as back as 2016, uh, you know, individuals linked to extreme terror groups, including ISIS, Al Qaeda, and so forth, were in Mexico trying to recruit people. Uh, basically, some of them were trying to get married to Mexican women to be able to get legal papers to stay in Mexico. Some of them were uh, trying to recruit other people within the Muslim community in Mexico, trying to uh, radicalize them and try to get them to stockpile weapons and stockpile guns and and mm-hmm. some of these individuals that are identified in these documents, you know, um, a year or two later on were actually arrested in Europe or killed in Europe for trying to carry out these type of attacks. So this kind of shows a concerning uh, a concerning issue that uh, of something that, that goes back as far as 2016, but it, it, it's present. And like I said, these are documents this are, uh, that are were leaked from Mexico's military. If not, we wouldn't even have known about these cases. They've been li- largely kept under wraps. Wow, that is incredible. Yeah, this is Davis. I'm assuming that all the Venezuelans who who get to this country are claiming asylum, and they get to stay then until their cases are adjudicated? Well, that's how it used to be. However, with the new policy, basically, if they don't apply before and they get uh, an, uh, an appointment to get to the bridge, they're not allowed mm-hmm. to stay. They're basically being deported like, like if there were, there were any other migrants, which is not really. It's, it, and if you look at the other cases, like just regular migrants from other Central American countries, they're pretty much crossing. They claim asylum, claim credible fear. They get put into this into the detention centers and then they're released because of the overcrowding. So the people that would, you know, it's, it's sort of being unfair to the people that actually have a pathway of source to some sort of asylum. Mm-hmm. They're basically being replaced by the ones that really don't. Well, how can I thought if if someone seeking asylum set foot on American territory, like they come up out of the river and step foot on land or cross the bridge and say then we have to give them an opportunity to apply for asylum. And that's the loophole that the, uh, the whole, that, that's at the root of the whole immigration crisis when yeah. human smugglers were able to decipher that. And that's the message that, you know, most of the migrants that reach the border, you know, that cross illegally and reach the border, if it's their first time, they're going to claim credible fear asylum or, or whatever. That, and that's what's kind of sort of led us to this point right now. However, in the case of the Venezuelans, because of the accord that was agreed between Biden and AMLO, AMLO is going to be taking the Venezuelans. So instead of them being, say, I'm mm-hmm. here, I, I have credible fear, I, I'm requesting asylum to stay in the U.S., they're going to be like, no, 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 you're being sent back to Mexico. And then from Mexico, you can apply. Oh, huh. wow. And the, is pro- that bit- the problem is that once they get to Mexico, Mexico says, well, you have seven days left on your permit, so you better... <laughs> get another permit or whatever, or we're going to kick you out. Wow. They actually so keep track of that stuff over there, huh? Well, yes, because remember, uh, one of the most corrupt agencies is Mexico's immigration agency there. Uh, this whole time, I mean, migrants not only have to worry about the human smugglers and the drug cartels, they also have to worry about immigration authorities who are known for extorting people. They're known for vile acts of corruption 
we've actually managed to do some investigation in, in, uh, in this last couple of months. We've published several of our exposés, kind of showing how uh, the corruption where these people are extorting migrants, uh, stealing mm. from migrants. Uh, and, you know, uh, there, we have photos of, of the agents basically, like, taking money from migrants' backpacks and, and if you pay them, they'll release you, et cetera, et cetera. So wow. aye, it, aye, it, aye. It, it's a perpetuation of this like um, horrible, horrible journey. You can read all of these stories at uh, Breitbart.com slash border. Uh, the Texas Cartel Chronicles. Uh, Ildefonso uh, Puncho Ortiz, award-winning journalist with Breitbart, Texas. Thanks for stopping Thank by and, and sharing a lot of this information with us. From south of the border, stay safe, brother. That's Ildefonso Ortiz from Breitbart, Texas, joining us on Newstalk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on Newstalk 710 KURV and KURV.com. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. We're joined by the Hidalgo County Health Authority, Dr. Ivan Melendez. There's a triple-demic out there. What are the three characters at play, and how can you tell which is which in the event that your child may get sick? Yeah, thanks for having me on to help us inform our, our community that we, we care for so much. You know, it's really difficult to distinguish by symptoms alone any of the upper respiratory tract infections. Every year about this time, we end up suffering from uh, rhinovirus, and we also suffer from respiratory syncytial virus. We suffer from uh, influenza and now with covid Currently, the three viruses that are causing the greatest amount of numbers and the greatest amount of pain are the respiratory syncytial virus, the coronavirus, and, of course, the influenza virus. Um, different parts of the country, different parts of the states have different amounts of, of uh, problems and utilization of resources. We're okay down here, but certainly the numbers are really, really high, which is worrisome because we're very early in the season, which tends to run between October and April. So uh, when we think of the triple-headed monster, we uh, at this time we think of RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, corona, and of course influenza. Um, and as I said before, very difficult to distinguish, especially early, uh, if that cough, if that congestion, if that runny nose, if that bony pain, if that uh, feeling of, of, of weakness and listlessness, very difficult because they're all present in the same way. They're all transmitted in the same way. They can all be prevented in a very similar way. And so there are two most important things that people should be aware of. Number one, early recognition by testing, 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 testing. And two, at least for corona and influenza, uh, if you can uh, avoid it, why not? And the way you would do that would be with the vaccination. Respiratory syncytial virus, unfortunately, does not have a vaccination as of yet, although we expect that within the next year to two, there will also be a vaccination for respiratory syncytial virus. The one that is the highest culprit for small children requiring ventilators is RSV. 
the one that has been in most uh, uh, numbers and most of the press has been Corona and, of course, influenza. Interestingly, for the first time in many years, uh, we have almost the same amount of people in the hospital of influenza and of COVID-19. Uh, we have in the low 30s to high 20s, depending on that day, 28 to 32. So I find it fascinating that we have been just focused for so long on COVID-19 that now we're getting back to some of our more traditional virus like influenza. Dr. Ivan Melendez is the Hidalgo County Health Authority, our guest on your 956 drive home. What what um, necessarily separates RSV from the flu and the Rona? And what is it? why is it not as notorious well, you know, for, for those of us, and I like to use this word to describe myself frequently, as you've noticed when we've talked, for those of us who are kind of nerds, and this is what mm. we do, it's it's very uh, non-notorial, it's very common, we're very, it's in our foreset. I guess a lot of people are not aware of it, but we've been battling for, for many years. For You know, I've been a physician for 37 years, and at least for the last 25 years, we've had medications that we've given that didn't turn out to work. We had a vaccine in the past that never really worked. So RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, which refers to a virus that causes plasma cells, it causes a certain type of cell to group up and call what's called a syncytium. This particular virus has been present for quite a long time and tends to create, especially in people with small bronchioles, which would be small children, congestion and obstruction leading to ventilation. And so for many years, uh, we've been very well of RSV influenza. We all know it so well, and we know that uh, since uh, the year 2000, we have had in 2003 and in 2010, and we're believing this year what we consider to be a extremely a very high year. That is, there's low, there's moderate, there's high, and there's very high. And so, for the first, for the third time in 20 in 22 years, we believe that this year is going to be very high in influenza. And remember that both of these viruses that we've had for a long time, which is respiratory syncytial and influenza, are extremely active because the last three years, by social separations, by washing your hands, by wearing masks, uh, we've been able to avoid it. And therefore, the community does not have a baseline immunity against these diseases. That's why it doesn't come to any surprise whatsoever that these numbers are up this year. How are the hospitals doing right now, capacity-wise? I'm really happy to report that, uh, you know, only we have less than 7% of the hospitals in Hidalgo County. We have a potential of 2,000 beds, of which currently we have close to 12 to 1,300 that are actually in active use. We're less than 7% of those beds that are being occupied by people that are suffering from uh, these type of viruses. Usually, for every 100,000 population, we might expect five people to be hospitalized with influenza. So for our population, say roughly a million, we should expect to have approximately 50 people that are hospitalized. And we don't. We have around 32. So our numbers are high, but our resources are plentiful, both in the um, physical plants as well as the staff to take care of you. So I don't want people in the community to think that they're in any danger and that our hospitals are um, are being uh, uh, overwhelmed. What is notable is that there's a great amount of people that are coming to the hospitals, emergency departments, and are getting tested and are turning positive. So while the ERs are extremely busy, the doctor's offices are extremely busy, and the hospitals are more busy than usual, we're still certainly well within our ability to take care of this problem. 
Davis Rankin, uh, your question for Dr. Ivan Melendez, the Hidalgo County Health Authority. The RSV, doctor, is it confined to younger people? I thought it was a children's disease. Is there any risk grown-ups can get it? Yeah, it's very interesting that the uh, it can come in any age group, but more notable in young kids. I think it's because of a, um, a, uh, a anatomical scenario. If you have yeah. a small gauge tubule, Versus, yeah. which is in little tiny kids versus a large uh, bore uh, tubule like a bronchial and adult, of course, you're going to see more problems in the smaller respiratory tract than in the larger respiratory tract. Interesting, in the flu, the people that get the least amount of flu are people above 65, which is surprising. And really? that's because most people over 65 are vaccinated. And since the age of six months, you can get your flu vaccine and get it every year. Most people over 50 get it. Very few people that are children get the flu shot, which is why I believe that the majority of the flu victims occur in children that are quite small. And as I read in the, in the news, the uh, congestion in those small bronchial tubes is a, it's a phlegm and a very sticky phlegm. So it's hard for them to expel it. And I assume sticky phlegms true with grownups too, but we have a greater, greater ability to get rid of it. That is great. The increased viscosity on the bronchial production, which is composed of mucus, which is composed of white blood cells, the virus itself, and all the inflammatory proteins does create quite a sebaceous, thick secretion, which of course becomes a physical obstacle the exchange of air yeah. uh, and particularly oxygen and carbon dioxide. Hey, thanks a lot for stopping Thank by you, and explaining that to us. That's the Hidalgo County Health Authority. Dr. Ivan Melendez joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. We mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news. On News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have an active shooter, multiple gunshot. In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Have you ever been to a restaurant? And I'm sure you have. But have you ever been to a restaurant where they have the point of sale? It's a little tablet. And by the time they're done ringing you up, they flip the tablet around and they ask you for a tip and you don't know what to do. Because all they did was ring you up. So what do you what do you do? It doesn't matter if it's a restaurant or a shop, small business, what have you. What do you do in that situation? Well, we've we've sent for the expert, etiquette expert Valerie Sokolowski joining us on your nine five six drive home. So the discussion of tipping, uh, what what was the traditional way of doing it, and why have things changed so much? Have they changed so much? Well, hasn't everything changed? Absolutely, everything is digital. And I don't know how you feel about it, but when they turn that screen around and I see that it starts with 18%, not 15, 18 now, and it goes up to 30, 
It's uh, it makes me feel a little squeezy, and I think that most people, from my from my research, feel exactly the same way. Yeah, it's is interesting that that percentage is going up, and it's making me feel n- like I'm not supposed to go out and spend money anymore because when you go online you see these people getting into heated debates and the one phrase that keeps getting thrown out is well if you can't afford to tip you shouldn't be out there spending at all well i tell you what knowing that this was coming i did some research and i went to two different places one was a high-end coffee shop in our neighborhood and it that's the situation that i just explained it starts with 18 percent And I asked the lady behind the counter, I said, now, what do people typically do when they tip? Not only do they have the screen put in front of you, but they also have a jar and it had dollar bills in it. So she very graciously talked with me about it. And she said, well, most people hit immediately the 18%. Or if they don't like the machine, They just put a dollar or maybe two in the jar. And I said, well, how do you feel about that? And she said, you know what? It's really up to them. So she was very gracious. And then I walked across the street to a nice restaurant. And I talked about the same questions. And I asked the same questions to the maitre d' and to a waiter. And here's what the waiter who had been there for many years said. He said, you know, we give good service. And we're rewarded by people appreciating a good service, and most people pay 20%. And then I asked, okay, does anyone ever hit the custom? (laughs) You want to guess what they said? Yes. (laughs) They said, uh, not so much. But when they do... Yes, they said, not so much. But when they do, this one waiter said they still hit at least 20%, if not more. So now that was a restaurant, not a coffee shop. So you know what? It's all over the ballpark. I, uh, I'm i not going to lie. That, that custom button is my favorite. That's the one I hit all the time because I uh, I, I have a, a some level of OCD and it, I have to round the number. I just can't. I just, I just can't give. I just can't take the number that they give me. Valerie Sokolowski is a etiquette expert. Our guest on your nine five six right home. Davis Rankin, your question about tipping. Well, I want to make sure we're talking about two different kinds of tipping. One is a meal of some sort, uh, or mm-hmm. it could be coffee. They bring you coffee to your table, uh, like in an old fashioned cafe. Uh, that's one kind of tip. The other would be. When you go to um, a coffee shop like a Starbucks um, or some sort of takeout, those are two different kinds of experiences. May I? Um, yes. The understanding I think you're trying to convey is one of them is a service-based, this person's getting paid like two-something an hour versus somebody that's literally their job is just to make coffee and pump it out the entire time. And the tip isn't necessarily a part of that. It, 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 it Am I encapsulating that correctly, David? Yeah, yeah. And my understanding is the tip jar, like at a Starbucks, is something that's spread around. Everybody gets a piece of it. So what do we do? What do you you recommend? It's so interesting talking to people about what they do. And I go back to what I said. Some people over tip, and here's what they say Mm -hmm. for the reason. They say, you know what, Valerie, these are difficult times. 
and I feel like I'm tithing. <laughs> I feel like I'm tithing. <laughs> and so I'm more than willing to give a bigger tip. And yeah. then other people will say, Dad gum, no. This is just coffee. All they did was turn around, hit a button, give it to me, and I don't feel like I owe them anything. If anything, if there's a tip jar, I'll put a dollar in it. So go figure. It is just up to different people and what they can afford and I guess what they're, where they're coming from and what their mindset is. What about the nagging guilt in the back of your mind? What do, what, what do, you, what do you deal with that? Like, Go should, to a therapist. Should, should your mindset be, you're, you're lucky I'm tipping you at all? Do you, do you worry about how much you tip? Like, if, if for example, if, the, if the, the, the proposed tip is 18% and you're like, I don't know if that's worth 15% or 18%. What if it's more worth like, you know, 12 or 15 or 10%? You know, do you feel bad reducing the amount that they suggest? You know, I would never want to tip with any kind of guilt. I wouldn't. I mean, that's not what tipping is. Tipping is supposed to be a gratuity for good service. And so let's just start there. Uh, that's why I think some people, to your point, say, well, now, wait a minute, service. All they did was turn around, put a cup under a machine, hit a button, and hand it to me. And so, again, you know, are there any answers to it? No, not really. It's just what individual people, even on a day, that day, maybe one day you feel more generous than other days. I don't know. Yeah. I actually, I got a, I got a good example for you. So think of it like this. Mm-hmm. Everybody's asking for a tip these days. And I, and I, I know I'm going to sound cheap for, for presenting this, but they say, hey, if you don't want to have it delivered, go out and pick it up yourself. Okay, I, I get that. So if you're going for like DoorDash or something, you put down the tip and the tip is the only way that you're going to have the food delivered. I, people have learned that one the hard way. Uh, so you go, you leave the house anyway, and uh, even if it's curbside or even if you're going inside for just to pick up the food that you ordered, just the act of them handing you the food, <laughs> does that necessarily warrant a tip? Because now the now the idea is, well, I mean... Unless I'm going to go to the grocery store and buy all the food, come back and make it, I mean, am I still going to have to tip like the 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 cashier on the at, at the checkout as I'm as I'm purchasing the food too? Like, where where does it end, really? Well, that's true. Where does it end? And again, it's up to every individual. I have to say, and I'm being very vulnerable here on your show. But if I order takeout and I go in and it's in a sack and it's on a counter. I don't feel like I need to tip. I just don't. That's happened to me one time, actually. Yeah, really? where, where they just pointed at it. They pointed they pointed to my food at the bar as, as I walked in. <laughs> Bare, I barely even got a hello, you know? They knew you. <laughs> they, knew you. <laughs> right? they didn't want to have any interaction with you. My reputation as a poor tipper is ahead of me, yeah. <laughs> Davis Rankin, final question for our etiquette expert, Valerie Sokolowski. Uh, you would agree with me, wouldn't you? <laughs> this is a load. You would agree with me that if you can afford it, which is imprecise definition, if you can afford it, you should tip generously uh, in your interactions with servers and serving serving type people. My sister, my my niece used to be a waitress, and my sister just busted my chops. Tip, you know, give a good tip. But that's, of course, we're talking about two or three different things. But if you can afford it, I don't see why you shouldn't spread the wealth around. You know, that's interesting because some of the less generous tippers are people that could tip and buy the restaurant. 
So yeah. I don't know. What's the answer? Wow. It's all in, you know what? It's in people's hearts. I mean, it is. What are you going to do? Who's going to tell me whether to feel guilty or not? They can't. So it's, yeah. it's up to me how I feel about the service I've received, how I feel about the mm-hmm. fact that things are difficult right now. I don't yeah. know. I can't tell somebody else what to do. They can't tell me what to do. We learned that a long time ago. So Valerie, do you've what got you a- think is right. You've got a book out right now called Do It Right, the new book of business etiquette. What can we find inside that book? Well, you can find all kind of tips, 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 and it's on Amazon. It's easy to get. And can I just share one more thing? Sure. A, there is a podcast that I host, and it's four years old now, and it's called Doing It Right. And it's kind of the same kind of thing. It's interviewing people, though, a little different. It's interviewing people who have made success in their life, but they've done it with integrity, walking the talk, being a good leader. And those are the stories we all need to hear, don't you think? Absolutely. I fully agree with you. Thanks for stopping by and and, uh, sharing some of that expertise with us. That's Valerie Sokolowski. You can find her at ValerieAndCompany.com. ValerieAndCompany.com. This is News Talk 710 KURV, your 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's Morning News. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day and special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, good morning, guys. Well, let's now enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's Morning News with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710-KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. I got some stats for you that you don't want to hear, but uh, we need to talk about this. More than 79,000 people dead on Texas roads. And the last time that there was a deathless day on Texas roadways was November 7th, 2000. Joining us on 710 KURV to help us end the streak from TechSDOT is Ray Pedraza, the public information officer, joining us on your 956 drive home. So give us give us the, the stats and, and what is how do, how do we end the streak? Well, you know what, ending this, thank you. First of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, to, to end the streak uh, is really going to take uh, everyone's help. Uh, th- this week, we reached out uh, on a Zoom call to reporters and social media influencers, uh, you know, to really you know, ask for their help to help us uh, with this campaign, industrytx.com. Uh, if you want to get familiar with the campaign, you can go online and, and, and find out more about it. And we're just really asking all drivers uh, to, to, to help us as well. They have the power to protect themselves, their passengers and their fellow community members, because most of the crashes and fatalities that we're seeing on our roadways are preventable, and they're caused by things such as speeding and drunk driving and distracted driving. Uh, so when we approach... Uh, Reaching zero deaths on Texas roads, we go through what TxDOT calls the three E's, engineering. We take a look at ourselves. How can we enhance the safety on our roadways? Education. How do we educate people about traffic uh, safety laws? And then, of course, working with law enforcement partners to enforce those traffic safety laws 
and, and, and I mentioned the, the Zoom call that we had earlier this week, and we thought we should probably add a fourth E to that, and that should be empathy because we feel like, you know, we as fellow Texans, we need to care more about each other and care about the person who's in the vehicle next to us. And we feel like once we get people to care about, you know, who's in the vehicle next to them, uh, hopefully we can start uh, bending the trend, if you will. I think we should we should care for you to get out of my way when I'm in a hurry somewhere. Davis, right? Davis. <laughs> uh, I'm joking. I'm joking. So here's something. I just finished going to um, New Orleans from, and I drove there from uh, the valley to New Orleans to Bastrop and and back down. And one of the things that I'm seeing a lot of are people are are, are overtaking you from the right hand side, getting in front of you, and then moving over to the to the left lane. Are there other things? I mean, uh, that go hand in hand with the speeding and the drunk driving and things like that are just crazy things. I know we were in quarantine for a while, but like, is there a reason why people have been driving a little bit more recklessly than than usual? You know, it's funny you mentioned that because with this campaign, uh, there was a the psychology professor that was interviewed about driver behavior. And he mentioned, you know, things like COVID, where he felt like there was maybe a disconnect, uh, you know, or we you know, weren't socializing as much. And so maybe we're not seeing people mm -hmm. as our neighbors uh, as we used to. And then another thing that he mentioned too was politics, you know, uh, which can be very polarizing and where, you know, we, we take that yeah. behavior where, you know, we see people as strangers and not our neighbors and, and, and maybe we don't care as much when we're on the road uh, in vehicles next to us. So that could be a factor. So uh, again, we're asking people to, to really care about, uh, the people in the vehicle next to them. We're really asking people also to to reach out to people in their inner circle, to to their friends, their neighbors, the, the, their relatives, and and call out bad driving behavior because we see plenty of it here in the valley. Our our guest is Ray Pedraza from TechStot. Our guest on your nine five six drive home. We're trying to end the streak as there have been more than seventy nine thousand deaths on Texas roads, and the last time we had a deathless day was November seventh, two thousand. Yes, 22 years ago. Good Lord. It, it's incredible. As far as uh, drinking and driving or driving while intoxicated or, or under the influence of anything, uh, how, how uh, do, do you happen to have any numbers? Because I know we've got like Uber and Lyft and, and things like that, and, and you've always been able to call a taxi, but I mean, these things still happen. You know what? I, mm. I don't have those exact numbers in front of me, but I can tell you that Unfortunately, Hidalgo and Cameron counties are usually in the top 10 when, when it comes to impaired driving crashes and fatalities. And so that's certainly not a stat that we're proud of. No, not at all. You, Davis Rankin, go ahead. Ray, do you think, uh, do you think we are, because um, hmm, I've heard this said that we, are, we have a, just a little bit different attitude toward drinking and driving down here. We're a little more casual about it or... Uh, forgiving is not the right word, but you understand where I'm going with it. Is it, is it your view that, that that's kind of prevalent here? I, I believe so. I think that, you know, uh, in, in many instances, people feel like, well, if I just have a, a few drinks, I'm just going to head down the road, you know, I'm probably, you know, law enforcement won't see me. And so I think hmm. we tend to see people take that, take those risks, uh, maybe here yeah. more so than in other parts of the state. Hmm. Yeah, as one guy said, we like my people like to party. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> um, yeah. One thing I've wondered, and you're not the right, but, but I'll put this bug in people's uh, ear. It's one thing to to, to have point zero eight 
blood alcohol content, which they do by a test. There's, but you can be, if you're at point, was it point zero five? That's not legally intoxicated, but you could be, I guess, considered under the influence. I've never, I don't know if that's litigated ever. You know what I mean? Right. So what we really tell people, if you've had any amount of alcohol, call, get a sober. Call ride. raise, call, friend, call, call raise a Uber. Hey, call me. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> do, do you, do, this is unusual for the highway department. It seems to me to, to be doing this and realizing you're not one of the commissioners. Uh, but why, you know, don't y'all have enough to do building roads then? I think it's a good thing. I'm not complete. I'm not criticizing it, but it is unusual for the highway department to be involved in this. Well, actually, let me well, let me we, springboard off of you, Dave. We, 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 the, we, we feel like ahead, we feel like Ray. it's a shared responsibility uh, between okay. us and law enforcement and the community. We feel like all working together, we could hopefully uh, bend this trend and, and hopefully one day get to, to zero deaths on our roadways. And for Ray, Ray Pedraza is with TechStot. He joins us on your nine five six drive home. We're trying to end the streak of car accidents on Texas roadways and. It, it's been it's been almost twenty two years. How how does it get that far? And and mm-hmm. what what does it take? Like, has there been? I, sorry for asking, kind of a left field question, but I mean, have there been studies about what happened, like on that particular day, versus mm-hmm. like, the the trends and things like that? I, mm-hmm. I have not, uh, you know, I, I've not heard, you know, what particularly happened on that year. Yeah. But my guess is that you know, uh, you know we have a lot bigger population and you have more people driving since then. I mean, this is 22 years later. Uh, that would be my guess, but uh, you know, I, I guess you. I would need to look close more closely into that date. Or I admit that was a niche com- uh, a niche question. I, I admit, but it was just one of those peak of curiosities that, that happened as we have this conversation. I bet but you there's as far fewer, as, um... as far as why uh, over 22 years, I mean, um, if I remember correctly, haven't there been kind of like inklings and murmurings of, hey, you know, things have been getting kind of bad. Can we mm-hmm. tone it down a bit? Like not not so much official campaigns, but um, at least yeah. mentions that the streak hasn't hadn't been broken in so long. I'm sure it's been mentioned before. Of yeah. course. Yeah. And that's a reason that way we, we, we do safety campaigns, you know, throughout the year, you know, whether it be motorcycle safety, pedestrian safety you know, sober rides, uh, you know, campaigns. Uh, so we really try to keep the message out there all year long. And that's why we're also encouraging the community, you know, that this needs to be a conversation on a regular basis and not just on holidays. I mean, we, we should be talking to our, our kids that are teen drivers about the responsibility uh, on our roadways to keep everybody all right. safe. I've- I'm happy to see more presence on on this particular thing, ending the streak. But for uh, b- before we wrap it up, where do we get more information on, on on how to end the streak? What are some of the things that we can do? You can go to endthestreaktx.com, and there is plenty of collateral for you to download on there. The social media graphics and and gifts that you can download on there, and uh, we encourage you to to, to post your own personal stories, uh, testimonials of, of maybe you've lost a loved one, or or maybe someone you know was seriously injured in a crash. Post your story. Use the hashtag in the streak, uh, TX, and of course, follow us on social media and, and reshare our content as well. Endthestreak.tx Endthestreaktx.com Oh, endthestreaktx.com Got it. Endthestreaktx.com Thanks a lot, Ray. Appreciate Thank it. You. Hope to have you on again soon with, with uh, news of improvement and 
that, that everybody has officially learned how to drive and we can finally get past this and, and end the streak. Ray Pedraza, Public Information Officer for the Texas Department of Transportation, joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news. And to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.